Welcome back, Peter Verley. Welcome Lord. back. Whoa. Leisure part three. This is exciting. We're finally going to get to know what Joseph Pieper meant by the highest form of leisure. I, I've been waiting for weeks <laughs> for this moment, and we're finally here, and I'm so excited. And we have Michael back. He missed part two, but he's back for part three. Welcome back. Yep. Thank, yeah. How's it going, Michael? It's going well. Uh, I was in a test at that, that stinks. I would have rather been here, but uh, yeah. how'd it go? Did you do well? I, I did well. I did better than uh, than I thought I was going to do. So nice. it worked out okay. That's good. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, yep, Peter, uh, are you ready to go? You ready to give us some knowledge? I am ready. Okay. Well, good. Because Father's going to lead us in a prayer. First. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be even more ready then. <laughs> in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, just the opportunities that you give us in our lives for true rest, for true leisure, to uh, continually grow in the life of wisdom and understanding of ourselves, of the world around us. We ask your blessing upon all of us, all those listening, and Peter too, as he continually leads us in this study and discussion. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. Gotcha. We finished our last comments, talking about Peeper. Uh, we said that leisure is a disposition of the soul and that it's not to be subordinated to work, that it's not even in the same world as work, and that leisure can be had anywhere. In this uh, second to last section, section four of Leisure, the Basis of Culture, Peeper goes on to examine the social ramifications of leisure. What can be done to foster leisure? when all around us is what he's called the workaday world. His answer to this is, we need to examine the social structure. Pieper says that we must abolish proletarianism, that system in which men are chained to the process of work. Uh, it's kind of an overlap with Marxist terminology. Marx does adopt the term proletarian for his own causes, namely the belief that uh, the abolition of proletarianism involves making everyone a proletarian abolishing classes, but Pieper isn't forwarding a Marxist viewpoint. So he's using a similar lingo, but it's not a lingo that specifically belongs to Marx, so he can use it just as well. Uh, so Pieper's reason for bringing it up uh, is basically this. Anyone who is a slave to work isn't free regardless of how much money he has. So even if you have all the money in the world, if you're a CEO, but you're still going in for 120 hour work weeks, you are still a slave to work and you still are a proletarian. You're not free if you're tethered to your ability to work. Whereas Marx is analyzing wealth and ownership in his economic system, Pieper is diagnosing the poverty of soul that arises from certain social circumstances. So he rejects Marx's solution to abolish private property because in such a world, you have nothing but your own power to work. 
And so you're still a slave to the economic system that's in place. So Pieper writes, deproletarianizing means enlarging the scope of life beyond the confines of the merely useful servile work and widening the sphere of servile work to the advantage of the liberal arts. He says, this process is carried out by combining three things, giving the wage earner the opportunity to save and acquire property, by limiting the power of the state, and by overcoming the inner impoverishment of the individual. In other words, the way to lift people out of the workaday world is not by flattening social classes into one giant social class, but by lifting the lowest members up. And that can only be done through leisure, which is spiritual by nature, which is why Marx doesn't have the tools to accomplish what he diagnosed, which is the problems of industrialization. Marx didn't have a real belief in God. And so his conclusion was to basically spread out the wealth problems to everybody in the hope that what's everybody's problem isn't the problem of one person in particular. And it turns out that backfired. It simply made it everybody's problem. So for Pieper, the question of leisure does have economic ramifications, right? It, it, it matters how we have our jobs and how much people are paid. But getting people to have more leisurely lives isn't the same thing as the war on poverty, as we call it. At the same time, the worker needs not a wage, he says, which would be a minimum that you're paid for your work. But he says it needs something more. He says that a worker needs money commensurate with his needs. He needs enough to cover his family, to buy a car, to have good insurance, to live in the city as we all are today. He doesn't go further in making political suggestions because he doesn't want that to, to overshadow his vision of leisure with things that are outside of his range. Right? He's a philosopher, not an economist. So we could try to tease out you know, political points that he may have lurking in there. But the point is that he recognizes the significance of leisure and that it's not about being away from work per se, but it's about obtaining an attitude that is confident and loving and seeing that the world isn't orchestrated and created whole. And that this is deeply tied to our own version of work, which needs amelioration. The one thing that I wanted to touch on was you, you used that statement, like the people that, are working 120 hour weeks are actually they're not they're they're less free even though they're making a lot of money they are they're a slave to their work um, i thought that was really powerful because even in america today we really do attribute like oh like money is the way that you get freedom people in america are willing to sacrifice um from the time they're 24 to whatever age working very long hours very uh, arduous work in order for like this dream of turning 65 and retiring in Palm Beach, Florida to stay in you know some uh, uh, condominium, yeah, condominium down there and that they could walk, you know, <laughs> walk slowly down and sit on a beach until they inevitably die. So it, it is kind of, um, yeah, it's countercultural to America as well as, you know, it's, it's not just, um, against like what Mark said, but it's also going against how we kind of perceive work in America as well. 
we do the work hard, play hard a lot. And uh, the only thing that's missing from that picture of Florida is uh, having a small dog with you too. Yeah. You're not kidding. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the person who works 120 hours a week in some way is attached to their work. They have more resources than somebody who only works 30 or 40 hours a week. But there's a poverty of soul that comes in there. If you've sold your soul to your work, you don't have leisure. So there, there has to be some kind of middle ground where, yes, I'm working, but there is more to my life than work. And Pieper's diagnosis of Marx is that Marx doesn't keep the leisure. He just puts everyone in work and thinks that because everyone's working, then the resources will be there. And so we can take time off, but it's not evident that that's actually worked. So I want to throw out a question. I was reading a little bit about Elon Musk this week and a lot of people, especially in the farmer school business, idolize him as a person to strive for someone who's taking over the world with Tesla and all the entrepreneurial things he's doing. But it sounds like Peeper would maybe suggest that maybe Elon is even uh, a slave or a proletariat to his work. And is there a person or someone maybe in culture that you could give an example of that is a good example of this leisure and work kind of balance, if that makes sense? Other than Matthew McConaughey, because he's always in leisure, as you can tell. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey seems like the kind, the kind of guy to always be wearing like, like a gray V-neck t-shirt, jeans, okay. and sandals. And oh. just absolutely loving it. <laughs> yeah. You're um, thinking commercials. He does one, one of those once a month <laughs> where he doesn't even say a word. He just, you know, just sits in a Lincoln and just appreciates himself looking at a mountain view and, you know, million dollars. That's all he needs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Let me think, Johnny. I think, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is not, exactly a model for uh for us but i think he's onto something with simplifying your wardrobe uh living simply i think has to be a part of a life of leisure where your your interest in doing well doesn't spill over into like stylizing yourself for every different occasion that's different than saying that you shouldn't have nice things or that you shouldn't have a variety of things but you hear about these people who they, they buy a new outfit for every occasion. Um, like celebrities that go to some kind of an awards thing. Apparently they wear their tuxedos, right? The men do for one night and then they just throw it away. Cause like it's, it's dirty now. And I don't know, that just seems ridiculous. Right. I think to any person who uh, does not have that much money. <laughs> so there's something to be said for simplicity and Honestly, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody who lives really simply in pop culture today. And there's probably something to that, that when you have money, you don't want to live simply. You, you want to live how you feel like living. So off the top of my head, is there anybody I can point to who in culture is, oh yeah, this person's a good example of, of living a life of leisure. Uh, probably the person, I, I guess, close to Matthew McConaughey, where they got the money, but they're just kind of living and they're trying to figure things out. 
I think Matthew McConaughey is pretty genuine. Uh, I, I don't know if he's right on like everything. I haven't studied him, but uh, isn't he running yeah. for governor or something of Texas? Is he really? I, there's a rumor going around. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> well, we all know what to say to that. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think too. It's when you were sharing these things about the proletariat, and you know, of course, in our culture, many people do have a lot of work hours, a lot of money. But I begin to think of kind of the beginnings of philosophy to the opposite. You know, I think of Aristotle saying in the beginning, man was just working so much just to survive, right, you know, in the early days. And so really to have time for, uh, to do, to begin doing philosophy, you need leisure just to think and to take that time. And so that's kind of the point, maybe on the opposite side, correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but yeah, how Aristotle was like, man just needed time to like think and ponder life in order to really uh, appreciate the great things of the world, but also to realize more about who he is uh, kind of to enter into you need this leisure to kind of experience the higher things is that right peter i think so okay um, okay so peter i'm on the edge of my seat like okay cool peeper's got this <laughs> idea of proletarianism let's get into the meeting meet and grit here like what what are we getting into with with leisure like that yeah you sure. yeah i guess i guess the last thing i would say father i heard some quote somewhere uh i can't remember where or who said it but it was something like when an animal has all its needs met, it falls asleep. But when a person has all their needs met, they start to wonder. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious if anybody's like written a paper about this. Like, it seems that at the time of Roman Greece, man's needs had basically been met. There was more or less security with regard to um, other countries invading you could get resources and keep them for a period of time. I wonder if there's something about that time period specifically for Roman Greece that they actually had the time to do philosophy. But it seems like if you're always on the run, you don't really have time to think. Mm-hmm. And I think that echoes into today uh, quite readily. If you're always moving, if you're hustling, if you're always checking your phone, you got to go to here and you got a meeting there. It's hard to slow down and to take stock of everything to mm-hmm. kind of, still your mind in addition to stilling your body but johnny you're right peeper's been holding out on us he's been waiting drawing it to the very end i think to to kind of hover back a little bit peeper wants us to recognize the reality of leisure and to let other people speculate about what kind of policies have to be enacted So he doesn't want to totally ignore the question of economy and jobs and work and and such, but he doesn't want to get too far into it, I think, because it would overshadow his project. So he would say that whatever direction is most consistent with this life of leisure that he's been talking about is the one that we should pursue. He doesn't explicitly say what that should look like, but he's also conscious of the fact that this is a philosophical and a theological question if you want to give people a life that is enriching and meaningful and deep and satisfying, it can't be carried out at the material level. It has to be carried out at the spiritual level. Whereas Marx analyzed a material solution and provided an economic option, people are similarly diagnosing a spiritual solution and saying very little about economics. 
and while he does use language similar to what economic reformers would use, it's interesting how human Pieper's language is, if you read what he says. It's not an atheistic humanism he's talking about, where we, we build a Babel, but it's a Christian one. It's a humanism that's interested in humanity, in persons as made by God, who have a right to know God and to live their earthly lives with God in their hearts. And at the same time, even as he's advertising for changes, he's not doing it as an activist or as a commentator, right? Somebody who is on the ground or somebody who is sort of kicking up their feet and talking about, oh, things need to change. I get the sense from Pieper that he truly recognizes our understanding, not as unsavory, but as deprived of God's life. Uh, the workaday world is vapid. Poverty is evil when it prevents people from reaching God and living a dignified life. But we still have the final section. In this section five, we get a more concrete idea for what leisure looks like on the ground. Pieper tips his hand as a Catholic and says that what makes leisure possible is its fundamental justification, which is the celebration of the creator, of God. Uh, he, he says, now we cannot conceive a more intense affirmation of the world than praise of God, praise of the creator of this very world. This statement is generally received with a discomfort formed of many elements. I have often witnessed that, but its truth is irrefutable. He knows some people may not agree, right? That his final conclusion is something like worship of God, but he thinks it's true. He thinks that's something that we can't shy away from. He also thinks that <clears throat> leisure being religious in nature is not as exclusive as it seems, right? It's not so much of a jump to say, okay, and now we have to bring in God because historically the divine has always been associated with worship. The feast of Lupercal in the days of Rome, in the days of the French revolution, you had the festival of the divine being. So it's not a causal argument that, oh, if we're going to have leisure, then therefore, just sort of out of the blue, we have to also mention God. He says that worship, the divine enters in. It's just an observation that leisure gives the affirmation not of things, but of the divine. And so the fact that leisure derives its force from the creator is sort of a separate standalone point and one that I think we have to experience in order to understand Christian Sundays are important to people because they're days specifically set apart for leisure. We set aside a specific time sequestered for God to go to a place sequestered for God, both a time and a place. A church at this time, I'm going to be there. And the world today has a serious opposition to this because we live in a world of total labor. And Total labor rests on rational utilization. We're so used to working and using that pausing from work and giving something up voluntarily is absurd to us. If you think in terms of utility, it makes no sense to sacrifice an entire work day to worship God, right? That's, that's one seventh. You, you could be making you know, whatever percentage that is, you could be making that much more. Our Protestant American background, though, has ingrained within us this 
Sunday is a day of rest. And with our falling away from Christianity, though, Sunday has become a day of false leisure. We take our Sunday afternoon idol to drink beer and watch sports and basically be bored. Nietzsche has a very interesting comment. He says that he thinks Christianity is an invention. And he says, it's really brilliant of the Christian leaders to make Sunday such a boring day because it encourages people to go back to work on Monday. They get so bored that they would rather go back to work because at least work is interesting. And he says that that actually turns into a, a cycle that they work so hard that they need a break. And then Sunday is the break that they get, but they just want to go back to work at the end. So we treat our Sundays in a similar way. We actually get so bored that we don't mind going back to work because that kind of trouble is actually more interesting than pleasure. It introduces something interesting and it challenges us. We work so hard that we need a break, but our breaks bring us so low that we really don't mind getting back into things again on Monday. And what do we all say on Monday? Oh, just the beginning of another week. We, we've kind of accepted quietly this, this cycle of work and then pleasure, or sorry, pleasure over the weekend and, and time away that doesn't really restore. It's sort of this elongated smoke break, if you will, right? You see the person who's working at McDonald's, they have their 15 minute break and they're scrolling on their phone and smoking a cigarette. Sundays are treated today just like a longer smoke break where you have more things to do. But at the end of the day, it always comes back to working. So it's bereft of leisure as Pieper understands it. Pieper says, what does sacrifice mean? It means a voluntary offering freely given. It definitely does not involve utility. It is in fact absolutely antithetic to utility. Thus, the act of worship creates a store of real wealth that cannot be consumed by the work of the world. Authentic worship, in other words, acknowledges the givenness of the world or it isn't worship. After Christ, people would say, this authentic worship looks like sacramental sacrifice. Pieper concludes in a rather lovely way, saying, we therefore hope that this true sense of sacramental visibility may become so manifest in the celebration of Christian cultus itself, that in the performance of it, man, who is born to work, referring here to the punishment of Genesis, may be transported out of the weariness of daily labor into an unending holiday, carried out of the straightness of the workaday world into the heart of the universe. So why Sunday? Because we need to have a time where we do not focus on ourselves. The Sabbath was not made for God. The Sabbath was made for man to return to God. So we have to get out of the mode of thinking of everything in terms of utility, in terms of what can I get out of it and how hard can I work. Give up a Sunday and do not work. And in that time period, give something back to God. Something that you are not calculating. It's just a gift. 
it's clear by the end of section five that Pieper has it in mind that the only way to get this kind of leisure is rehabilitating our understanding both of leisure and work and by returning to the Greeks, right? What we said in the beginning and as father indicated, back to Aristotle, back to Plato, back to Socrates. Work for the sake of free time and free time spent pursuing higher eternal goods. That's what's more proper to us, it seems, than what Kant and Marx have in mind. The medieval tradition also has answers. What's most proper to man is to work and earn a wage that covers his specific needs. To have time with which he can gather in leisurely festivity and time in which he can worship the creator. Not just having leisure on Sundays, but frequent enough that he's not sucked into the social machine that just flattens his spirit. So that's a summary of leisure. It's not a long book at all. And uh, you can get whatever copies out there today. And there's also this second lecture in there that he calls the philosophical act. Presumably that's what we would do in a leisurely time. So if you're going to have leisure, you should at least do some philosophy while you're at it. Nice. Wow. So, Got to get a dig in there. Yeah, that's a lot to take in. Um, but you, you did get, like, you were, you were hinting at, like, I would say the more practical practical level that might be a little bit more accessible to uh, us non-philosophers. So what would you say would be, like, some practical advice for, let's say, college students that we have a pretty rigorous, um, like, school schedule. We have a lot of other activities. But what would you, like see as like an ideal schedule for a Sunday for a college student, a day of rest for a college student. Mm -hmm. Ideally. Ooh. Well, I would say for being in college, Friday is your, your sort of day off and you, you think of it that way. Um, you've been working so hard as soon as five o'clock hits on a Friday, you're out. You're going to talk to people. You're going to see people. You're going to have some fun. The way I try to do my Saturdays, I try to make Saturday a day of work. Um, now, I am not in any way some kind of testament to having perfected honoring the Sabbath. Um, I, I, I have the bad habit of pushing things off and then doing it Sunday afternoon. Um, but I think ideally, we would take Saturday as a day of work. Saturday as another kind of nine to five. But the kind where we do things to prepare for the next week and the kind where we sort of catch up on things that maybe we didn't get done, but we need to make sure that we have done. So Saturday, I think of as kind of a, a looking backward and a looking forward day. So all the things that you would do on a Sunday night where you say, Oh shoot, I forgot about that. Okay. I got this presentation to do. Try and write that down and hit that on a Saturday. Don't try and cram it during the week and overwhelm yourself, but Saturday morning, take some time, go to the library and really focus in for like three hours, get yourself a coffee, get your seat and just focus on everything that you need to do for that project. I had to do this a lot when uh, I, I took a, our junior seminar, the university of Dallas. If you're a philosophy major, you have a junior and a senior seminar and in junior seminar, you study one philosopher in particular and you read their works. Then for senior, you, you study a topic. So junior year, my topic was Kant. Uh, we 
we read the critique of pure reason, which is this you know, monster 800 page book. And he's saying all these confusing things. At a certain point I realized like, this is, if I don't read this quickly and if I don't keep up on top of it, I'm really going to fall behind. So I tried as much as possible to take Saturday mornings to just go and to read from, you know, something like nine to one, just to try and read Kant and try to spend some time with him so that the rest of the week wouldn't be, you know, oh yeah, I, I remember thinking that I should read that. So I think Saturdays are important. And I, I don't know about you. Do you, do you ever get that thing where if you, it's like, it's too early to eat breakfast, but by the time that you come back from mass, it's so late that you're starving. I'm still trying to figure out like, when is the right time to eat on a Sunday? Uh, I had breakfast earlier before mass last week and I was like, oh, this feels awesome. I'm so focused for mass now, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, you're trying to keep the fast. So you have a cup of coffee and you wait it out. Um, so first off, plan your mass time. Then think about how you want to do your meals too. I think the idea of a Sunday brunch is a good idea. Get together with friends, get some bacon, get some eggs, cook up a whole mess of food and spend time with each other socially. Ideally, that'd be after mass. So you're all still dressed up and you feel kind of dignified. Uh, I think the Sunday afternoon nap is just an absolutely fabulous thing. Uh, at the same time, I think Sunday, wait, I said Saturday morning, didn't I? Sunday afternoon? You said Sunday. Okay, good. Uh, I think Sunday afternoon nap is great. I think Sunday afternoon exercise too is also important. Uh, maybe a combination. We don't want to do the, the Sunday afternoon idol, like he said, where we just sit around and lay on a couch in the sunshine and, oh yes, life is beautiful because I'm not working maybe something that maybe relaxes us, but at the same time can push us, taking a nap in the early afternoon and then going on a run in the evening before dinner. Something like that I think would be ideal. I think also reading. Reading is super important. Um, taking time to enter into another world and kind of see how this person is, is crafting their argument, if it's you know some kind of uh, an educational book, or if you're reading like a fantasy novel, what kind of a world is this person living in? What kind, of a, a, what kind of terms does this kind of magic that they're using have or something like that? One thing that I forgot to mention last episode too, how can a college student relax? All right, this is just gonna complete the picture, so bear with me. Smoking a pipe. <laughs> Get yourself some loose leaf tobacco and learn how to sit for 40 minutes smoking a pipe. Uh, I, Okay, totally completes the picture, philosophy major, you know, you're, you're already boring and old. But I think there's something really fun to that because it's just between a cigarette and a cigar. But a cigarette, you can rip that between glasses. And that's why it has the reputation of being junky is it's a quick fix. It's a quick high. Uh, cigars not only are expensive, but you have to commit to like two hours. And not everybody wants to do that. But a pipe. Pipe is this happy medium where you can sit for 30 minutes, an hour, depending on how much you like. Note well, you're not inhaling it into your lungs, so it's got health benefits too. Uh, I think it's also fun if you have somebody else and you're smoking a pipe. So sit on your porch or somewhere outside uh, 
and be with somebody and just chat. So you're kind of working at something together, but you're also talking to each other. Lost Art, yes. Is it American? Not really. Is it kind of idolizing the, the Anglosphere? Yeah. But I think it's super fun. So all in all, I would say make Saturday a work day. But then as soon as five o'clock comes around on Saturday, cut out of work, it's time to relax. Sunday, keep it free, but not so free that you just sit there and waste away. Read a book, have a drink, go on a run, take a nap, have a smoke, uh, maybe meet up with somebody and go to a lake or something like that if you can. Not a whole lot of lakes down here in Texas. Um, oh, alligator. You do they find the ones about alligators in them, huh? <laughs> That's more Louisiana, actually. My, uh, my, I have a, an aunt, a grandma, who lives over there. And uh, she, she's got a pond that goes through her backyard. And that thing's got alligators in it. So it's like every once in a while, they just come into the yard. And yeah. So that, that's what I would say to that. Yeah. Well, Peter, I can speak for him as a guy who practices what he preaches. He loves his pipe. And <laughs> given that our, his bachelor uh, get together, there was a lot of men smoking pipes of tobacco that weekend. Uh, Don't out me, Johnny. Nobody's going to want to be my friend now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Father, uh, you're... Obviously, as a priest, it's different because you do maybe three masses on Sunday. And so how, how do priests handle the Sabbath? Do you take another day and, and do it? Or can you actually find leisure while doing those masses? Right. Yeah, uh, obviously different differs for different guys depending on the assignment. Um, but I love how Peter mentioned having a plan, you know, and realizing to what you need. Having a plan and realizing what you need. So... Uh, yeah, my last assignment, I'd have two to three morning masses, um, sometimes just one. But anyways, yeah, usually the morning is pretty stacked. Um, and then, so kind of the rest of the day, yeah, I'd usually go out to brunch with some of the priests. We'd hang out. Uh, I'd take the nap. Yeah, kind of similar format to some of those things. Um, yeah, and not that I certainly didn't do it perfectly every time, but yeah, realizing that I need to recharge on Sunday afternoon. Um, yeah, and what a great time to do that. It is the Lord's Day. Maybe trying to connect with family or call them is always great, too. Uh, certain assignments, of course, it varies, right? We are, we're doing RCIA on Sundays or you have things in the evening. Uh, but at least just trying to carve out that time that you can. Uh, and certainly sometimes, yeah, for other priests, their Sunday is booked all the way through. So when is their time to find leisure? And sometimes it's just sitting before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, right? You know, like having... Time. But also there's things that are life-giving. You know, I think of leisure, I think of things that are life-giving. Uh, what is life-giving for you? Yeah, and so I think we need, I think Peter hit kind of all of those major things of, yeah, like social things, you know, things with the people you love, uh, you know, rest, exercise. Nicotine. <laughs> <laughs> time for some, or yeah, even just having like a, a dessert, right? We normally celebrate Sundays with, yeah, right? Ice cream Sunday, whatever it may be, different kinds of uh, things for everyone. But um yeah, so I think in our lives, uh, I really appreciate you too, Peter, just going back to Saturday and looking at the week before. That's something I haven't thought about too much, like planning out my Saturday or taking time to think about the week and then what I want to do the upcoming week is always very helpful too, just planning. Um, yeah, to just be effective and not just mindlessly enter into Sunday. That's the problem I think sometimes. Yeah, we're so burnt out. Mindlessly enter into it and either, yeah, I'm going to uh, binge on whatever it is that we enjoy and call that uh, leisure, but certainly it's not true leisure, uh, according to Peeper. So, yeah, just take some planning. And sometimes, too, uh, the good thing about leisure is that you realize when you need to say no to work. 
because you realize the leisure we actually do need to be happy, to be kind to people, <laughs> all those things. And I know I need those boundaries too, right? Like, okay, I can't do like four ministry things in a row the same day, or it's just going to be too much. So, um, yeah, realizing it as a, as a person, what we need and what is life giving for us uh, is helpful. And sometimes that is taking up yeah, a new hobby or something too, something that could teach us uh, where we could experience that depth of life uh, or learn more about ourselves and about the world, what God's created us to be. Because obviously he wants us to have, I think, a taste of heaven on Sunday, really. It's kind of what people was um, alluding to maybe in some sense of, yeah, being with the community, uh, having prayer, having just time to rest, having time to abide with the Lord. So, yeah. Yeah, on that, Peter, I guess, do you have any advice for people who, like myself, I'm, I'm more of a independent guy that likes to just work by myself. Even I was talking to Maria earlier who, I like eating by myself. I don't like eating with a lot of people. It's just like, I, I can think I can eat faster and so I can do other things, but she's like, no, like people would have a problem with that because food is a time where people can come together and have community and all that. So how can we, everyone who might be recovering workaholics, so to say, get out of this uh, spinning uh, wheel, hamster wheel, and help us unwind. And even during mass, not just you use that utilization of thinking things, but actually enter into this leisure? Good question. Well, at least what I do on Sundays is my wife and I will go to a coffee shop. There's this coffee shop over at a Bible church. So we'll just get a coffee and then I'll do a little bit of work there or I'll read or something like that. Uh, I think getting out of where you are at the moment can sometimes be helpful. Uh, but yeah, as far as food goes, I'm definitely with you on the, the wanting to eat alone. It's, but, but, but think about how inverted that is, that even our time to rejuvenate ourselves physically is stolen away for work. That could be a time to recollect, to assess ourselves, to see how we're, we're feeling in this stretch of work. And then you're sitting and eating and you're, you're still thinking about your projects, you're thinking about what you want to do. But what if that 30 minutes or hour gets turned into, oh, I have a couple extra minutes. Let me read a couple pages of this thing that I really want to read. Or, oh, I've got some time. Why don't I take 20 minutes for prayer? Uh, if even our physical nourishment is taken for work, something's out of order. But I think, Father, you're right too. Uh, I, I don't know if I sold the religious element enough. I was hoping that people would do that. But uh, I think taking time to enter into prayer with other people is also important because prayer can be a very solitary thing, right? We sit and we meditate or we, we read the gospel. I think there's also something to be said for doing an activity together and then turning it into prayer. So maybe if you're a college student, go buy yourself some bases and get a kickball and play kickball for two hours, right? College guys get really into kickball or wiffle ball, like wiffle ball, like monsters, fiends at anything that has a ball and bases. Play that for two hours and then go back to somebody's apartment, have a beer, and then have 30 minutes of prayer together. Read something out loud, um, sit in silence for 10 or 15 minutes, uh, read the gospel, have some kind of a meditation on plan. 
uh, San Jose Maria has a lot of meditations. So leisure on the one hand, out doing something together, fostering a community, and then at the same time, bringing that community to God. If, uh, if successfully integrated, that could be a power move. But I think Father's also right. You have to have a plan. And again, I'm no model for this, so I'm kind of preaching the choir. But we don't want Sunday to sneak up on us like, oh, oh, okay, so I have some time off. Great. Well, I guess I, guess I should go to Mass too. Um, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a nap somewhere in there because I haven't had a nap in a while. But planning for it, that way it doesn't sneak up on us. That way we can engage in it a lot better. No, that is good, though. The idea, that's fascinating to think about, right? The idea of we're sacrificing our time. Really, we're just entering into the sacrifice of Christ. But then, yeah, we're made for that. Like, true friendship is laying down our life for others. But to, to realize that we do receive, like, we receive more than anything uh, at Mass on Sunday. And so we do receive that life. We do receive those graces. We do receive uh, Jesus, of course, in the Holy Eucharist. Um, and then, yeah, ready to, then we're sent, right? Sent to, but part of it is just, yeah, being with the Lord and um, what we receive in the sacrifice is always more than we give. Well, I'll leave it to y'all to, uh, y'all listeners, to uh, get a copy of Peeper because I, I'm, I'm really sold on what he thinks about leisure. Uh, I haven't done it justice nearly enough, but he, I think he's really onto something. And I think he's outstanding today for his ability to recognize a problem that we all feel very deeply. Uh, we all relate to the workaday world. It hardly needs a discussion or a description. And yet he, he talks about it in a way that is not reviling or damning or desperate. He writes in a way that's convincing and is quite profound, but also accessible. And it makes you think more deeply about your own life. He doesn't waste time describing how miserable man is when he's forced to work. We already know that. He doesn't need to embellish. He does point out some things that we may not be able to see when we're hustling from work to home. And he does so in a way that's academic and professional, but is not snobby. He doesn't pitch himself as this, you know, philosopher in the tower who's come down to give you this very important lesson that has taken him years to uncover. And so you better be grateful. It's very clear that this is about God. And I do think he's right too, that our culture is downstream of where we put our worship. And it's absolutely essential that we put our worship back in its right place. If we're going to become in the end, a healthier, saner, and in the end, holier people you will certainly not be as materially successful mm. with a life of leisure, mm -hmm. but you will be happy. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not going to be, you know, accomplishing everything that we ever possibly could with a life of leisure. But at the end of the day, that's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point would be to have God dwell within us and to have communication there. Uh, that's a that's a great ending right there because that was a question I, I've been meaning to ask and I didn't know how to put it because I I want to solve people's problems I want to be able to tell them that they will be as materially successful if they follow the Catholic lifestyle and live a happy life but actually no like being able to surrender that 
desire to be as materially successful as possible might need to happen in order to live this life of, of balance of leisure and work. You won't be as materially successful, but you will be effective in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You, you give up making money uh, in one sense, in that if you could just sort of submit yourself to work all the time, then you would, in theory, make a lot of money. Uh, I think people would say you would not make a lot of money because you would burn yourself out. But all things being equal, if you could just work, then you would have a lot of money. But if you have a life of leisure, your work becomes sanctified, and so you become more effective, which means that you're able to do more good for the world and lead the world instead of be a part of the world. I think the most perfect, maybe not the most perfect, but a great example of that is actually Chick-fil-A who is closed on Sunday, but they actually have the highest sales uh, per store capita compared to all the other uh, fast food restaurants. And so they're living effective, but only open six days a week. So. Eat more chicken, says the cow. (laughs) (laughs) Except on Fridays during lunch. And yeah, good Friday. So anyway, thanks a lot, Peter. It's been a blast having you on. Yeah. It's a pleasure to chat. Everybody go pick up a copy of Peeper. Will do. Yeah, thanks for yeah, dedicating three three podcasts to us and, and sacrificing so much time. So we're super grateful. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Happy to do it. And I, I think things like this are worth it. This is a kind of leisure of its own. Great. Well, let's close it out with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this life that you've given us. A life when we're called to work, but also we know a life of uh, that we're called to leisure too. And may we continually just have that balance of life, Lord, and glorify you uh, in our entire life and everything we do, but especially take that time to worship you, to know your presence, to sacrifice we might receive uh, continually. Uh, we offer you everything. We ask your blessing upon all those who tune in today. And we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. She dogs out. Do it!